I love this inspirational music right now. <laughs> By the way, now you know if you hear jingle bells, it means Laura Lee's around the corner and she's going to ask you to decorate and get on a ladder. So prepare yourselves. And <laughs> hey, let me pray for us before we uh, get into our scripture for today. Lord, thank you for this uh, time to be together as a church family uh, this week of, of Thanksgiving. God, let us be uh, mindful of, of all of the blessings that, that come from, from knowing Jesus. Um, and, and not least of which is this church family that we are, uh, together, uh, in this for each other, for people, uh, like me, whose families live far away. Um, uh, the, the church has become our family and it's just such a blessing to us. So we give you thanks for that today and, uh, remind us this morning of the many ways that we are blessed and let us start our week from there. We love you and we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So when, uh, Laura Lee says that, uh, she and Ruth think we bit off a little more than we could chew with the year-end gift stuff. Uh, I'm the one who bit off more than we can chew. It's my fault, and I own that. And here's why. Um, we, we all year long have been, um, been uh, talking about abuse in the many forms that it takes, and we've seen God do some amazing healing um, through this ministry, but then that's opened up doors to other ministries. And, and so Ruth um, you know, found out about this ministry, and we've been giving through our diaper drive diapers to Turning Point for any moms there that have uh, little ones who need diapers, and, and it opened this connection. And so through that, we, we just recognize that there's this huge need um, that, uh, to make uh, the holidays special for these families. Um, we decided, hey, let's, let's take this on. We also do um, a tree of hope that starts in December where we're gonna be buying Christmas gifts for a lot of people. Uh, so between the 29 gifts that uh, we committed to with Turning Point and the 70-ish gifts we committed to with, with Tree of Hope, we need 100 people to step up and say, yeah, we're gonna bless another family this Christmas. And I know we can do it, and if we don't, I'm gonna feel really stupid. So uh, help me out here. Show up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but again, it's just a, a great way to, to bless a family. Maybe you're like, hey, I can't do a $50 gift card. Chip in with somebody else. You know, the two of you can go in on it or something and, and, and find a way to participate in this. And, and like she said, for our year-end gift, uh, if you go to our website uh, on our give page, there's a you know, drop-down menu and one of the options will be year-end gift. And like she said, all those funds are going to go towards meeting some of the needs that Turning Point has as a ministry just to continue to um, allow them to do the great work that they're doing. So excited about that. We'll be talking about that all throughout the next uh, month plus till we get to the end of the year. Um, last week we had a fun week. Who's still full from the potluck? Anybody? Congratulations to our winners, Tani and Ed in third place, tied for third place. Uh, and then we had Soul in second place. And then we had Elaine Choi in first place. And I will hold a grudge for the next year for those who did not vote for me. I think I was like in 10th place. Uh, but it was fun. But it got, you know, this, it's Thanksgiving week, and it got me thinking about, we were talking about meals with Jesus, and yes, we picked this series to go with Thanksgiving, because who doesn't want to eat a lot of food this week, but it got me thinking, it doesn't have to be Thanksgiving food, but I want, to shout, I want you to shout out the food that you can eat until it hurts. Like, you just love it so much, you can eat until you're like, I'm in pain, but it's worth it, right? It, does, it can be anything. It doesn't have to be Thanksgiving. Tacos? Mac and cheese? Crab? Oh my gosh, I could do some damage. What? Pizza? Sushi? I don't know how to pronounce that, but I will try it. Afghan food? Yes, invite me over. I will eat it. Uh, 
shrimp, tamales. Oh, man. All right, church is over. Let's go get some lunch. No, I'm just kidding. Um, for, for me, um, the two things that come to mind is uh, we took all the dudes on staff last year to a Brazilian steakhouse. I did not know it was possible to eat that much meat. It was like, I'm not hungry, but that looks so good, I'm going to eat it. And then I didn't eat for like 36 hours afterwards. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to need at least a year before I go back to a place like this. But this week, it's going to be the stuffing, the most appropriately named side dish of all time, because I will eat and stuff myself with an irresponsible amount of stuffing this coming Thursday. Don't judge me, please. Um, (laughs) Again, we're talking about food because we've been talking about this movement of meals uh, throughout scripture. And, and I want to kind of just recap where we've been with this. We, we've talked about kind of four different meals, which really symbolize this imagery that take us through the narrative of scripture. We have the Passover, this, this meal uh, that, that God's people were to celebrate to remind them of when God passed over them in his judgment of the Egyptians and set them free, right? And they're called, we are called to remember the Passover. Don't forget how God has rescued you. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he starts redefining even what that stuff means. And he dines with people. He dines with sinners, like people like you and me. The God of the universe comes and takes on flesh, becomes human, and then he sits around our table. And, and maybe we've been Christian for a long time and we forget that this is a big deal. He didn't have to do it. He enters into our world and shares his presence with us. And then further, he redefines the Passover at the Lord's Supper. You know, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We are to take this further to see that God has passed us over for judgment in a greater way. All our sins forgiven because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now new life is possible. Eternal rescue is possible because of what Jesus has done in this new Passover. And then lastly, this is future that's pointed to, and we're gonna talk about it today because Jesus talked about it a lot. And it moves all the way to the very last chapters of the Bible, this great banquet, eternal life. There's, there's this way that God is working in our midst now that will one day be complete and we'll sit around a table and be present with God. And it, 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 we'll get into it. I, I, won't, I won't foreshadow too much, but this is what we're talking about today. What's that great banquet like? Well, uh, we're gonna be reading two kind of portions of Luke chapter 14. Originally, I was just gonna do the parable of the banquet, but you can't separate the parable of the banquet from what comes before it. So here's what happens. This is Luke 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus, was at, uh, Jesus asked the Pharisees and the expert of the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. So, he, so taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed the guests, uh, how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. 
for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to say, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take, a least important, uh, take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So this is the first portion of the passage here that we're going to discuss today. And it's a very interesting one. But we're going to do this DBS style. Uh, Discovery Bible study, one of the questions that we ask in DBS. And if you see in the seat back, there's actually some DBS cards. If you want to take notes uh, about what you're seeing in this scripture as we go through this. Um, this is the, the question that we're going to start with is, what does this passage tell us about God, about Jesus, about the plan? And, and the first thing that I notice is this. Jesus is not constrained by our, our religious traditions. Jesus is not contained within our religious traditions. That doesn't mean that religious tradition is bad or that it's not useful, but it means it's not big enough to contain Jesus. And we're going to get into a series for Advent where we go through the book of Hebrews, and the author of Hebrews spends the entire time talking about why Jesus is greater than anything we've ever seen. Nothing else can come close, right? So keeping the Sabbath holy is not a bad thing. This is instructions that the people of Israel were given. In fact, we ourselves in our culture would do well to practice Sabbath rest. How many of us take a full day to step away from work, step away from the to-do list, and rest, breathe, connect with the Lord? How many of us do that? In our culture, not many, and we would do well to do that, but in fact, just to emphasize that, remember, this is one of the Ten Commandments, to honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, right? Along with, hey, don't kill people. So it's kind of important, all right? I'm telling you it's important, but it's not more important in Jesus' eyes than what? Than people. The religious tradition is not more important than people. Jesus shows us something that we can easily miss. People are far more important to God than our religious practices and tradition. When he heals this man who is sick and suffering, he demonstrates this truth. People over religion. And that's not saying religion is bad. It's not saying people over God. It's saying people over tradition. Let me give you an example of how I've seen this play out in our culture. Um, there's, oh, hey. Grande sus obras. Um, uh, let me give you an example of how I've seen this play out in our tradition. Uh, sometimes the screen does whatever it wants in whatever language it chooses. Um, you know, in the early 1900s, there were these huge debates that broke out. Huge debates uh, amongst religious people about uh, science and religion. And, and, and one thing at the center of it was the authority of the Bible. And, and so you had different camps saying, here's what we think the Bible is, and here's what we think how we're supposed to look at it. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. Developing doctrines about what we believe is not a bad thing, right? 
But one of the things that happened is there was a certain group that had a very tightly uh, defined vision for what the Bible was. And, and again, doctrine isn't bad, but what they did is they used that doctrine to say anyone who doesn't believe what we believe about the Bible are not real Christians. The problem with that is, is they were defining it in ways that the Bible doesn't explicitly define itself. And so where were they getting this from? And, and you know, even worse, they, 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 they stopped listening to what the Bible told them to do. They got so obsessed with what the Bible was and, and who's in and who's out based on what you believe about the Bible that they forgot about loving their neighbor. They forgot about feeding the hungry and caring for the poor. They thought they were honoring the Bible and honoring God by trying to protect it from people they thought were heretics. And that's fine. Doctrine is good. To the point where they missed the whole point of the Bible, which is to know Jesus and his heart for us. And his heart for us is that we love God and we love people. So all this debating led to these, you know, different sects of Christianity saying this and that and this and that. And all you had is division and people defining themselves based on that instead of defining themselves by what the Bible says is the whole point and it's love. And I say this not in judgment of those types of Christians because I have been those types of Christians. I have been the person who thought I have the right doctrine. I'm the one who figured out how, the, especially when I was in my 20s, I thought I knew everything and I was quick to tell people how wrong they were. And I knew my, doc, my Bible, and I knew how to defend it, and I knew all this stuff. And I completely missed what the Bible was calling me to do in my life. I missed the point. In the same way, the Pharisees are trying to please God by dotting every I and crossing every T of the Old Testament law. And in the process, they missed the bigger point of the scriptures. It was about loving people. When, when Jesus is asked what the greatest commandments in all of scripture are, he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he didn't invent this. He's quoting the Old Testament law books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. This was always the point. This is not new. Loving God and loving people is the whole point. And when we get distracted by, by trying to separate who's in, who's out, who's right, who's wrong, we can miss the whole point and forget to live it out. So Jesus defies these expectations and shows us that if our Christianity isn't first and foremost expressed by loving people like he does in healing this person, then no doctrine or Bible study really matters. So what else does this meal at the Pharisee's house tell us about Jesus? Well, it's curious that he's eating with Pharisees, isn't it? If you read through the Gospels, he's always butting ahead with the Pharisees. He's always got something to say to them and they're always looking for ways to trip him up and get him in trouble. And actually, if you read it, it sometimes seems like he hates the Pharisees. But a couple quick things I want to throw out there is we're, as you're reading your Bible, a few things to know that might be helpful when you encounter these things. First, uh, Jesus' theological teachings were probably closest to the Pharisees of all of the Jewish uh, religious sects that existed. Okay? So of all the different uh, versions of Judaism, Jesus is most closely aligned with the Pharisees. And that's probably why he was so hard on them. Because doctrinally, theologically, they had all the right big picture answers, but the way it got practiced missed the mark. And so he was tough on them because he's saying, you, you, it's right there. Come on, how are you missing it? They missed the big picture. 
And we have to be careful when we judge the Pharisees because as Christians, we can do this all of the time. We really do need to be careful to judge them. Many of Jesus' early followers were actually Pharisees. So not every person who belonged to this group had a closed heart, right? There were many who, most of them were trying to please God. They wanted to do the right thing. And many of them uh, recognized Jesus for what he was and followed him early on. And lastly, I want to say this. Jesus did not allow his regular beef with these Pharisees keep him from dining at their tables when he was invited. He, he even tells them explicitly after he sees the way their culture has determined this kind of hierarchy of honor. He tells them to break that hierarchy down, do away with it. That's not how this is supposed to work. Uh, I'm going to talk about two of my favorite commentaries in the book of Luke, one from Justo Gonzalez, one from N.T. Wright. And Justo Gonzalez in his commentary, he actually reacts to these verses by seeing Jesus is calling us to be a blessing to those who can't pay us back. And a good measure of how we are doing is inspecting our tables. Who is invited to our tables? This true hospitality. And it's so much in line with what Jesus teaches throughout the Gospels. And I'll get to that later. One last insight about what this meal tells us about Jesus. Do you notice how Jesus takes over? This isn't his house. He's invited to a Pharisee's home, and yet he just starts acting like the host. He's laying down life lessons. He's telling parables. He's, he's acting as if he's the host. You ever wonder if the guy who's hosting the meal is like, dang, man, can you chill out? We haven't even served appetizers yet. <laughs> so serious. <laughs> But again, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about what these verses mean for us. We see Jesus not afraid to share the table with someone who may have seemed like an enemy. He's not afraid to share the table with somebody who, who maybe doesn't, people don't think these two fit together, and yet he's there around that table. So that's the first question, you know, what, what does it tell about Jesus, about God and his plan? We're going to get to what does it mean for us. But let's pick the story back up in Luke 14. Uh, this is the parable of the great banquet. So right after all of this happens, Jesus goes right into this parable. When one of those at the table heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything now is ready. Okay, I'm going to pause right there, because this is actually a pretty funny scene, if you ask me. Uh, Justo Gonzalez talks about it. He's, he pointed out in his commentary, this guy chimes in with something, like he's trying to break the tension, like Jesus is going hard after the Pharisees and the way that they live their lives and the way that they've set up this system of honor and shame and all this stuff. And this guy's like, yeah, let's say something that everybody around here can agree with. And Jesus is like, I'm not done roasting you all, and I got something for you too, buddy. All right, in my mind, I pictured a rap battle where Jesus is just roasting these guys, and they're too stunned to say anything else. And this guy chimes in, and he's like, yeah, and Jesus is like, I'm not finished. I'm coming for you. And everybody in this room is probably like, well, you tell that guy's been a youth pastor because he just compared Jesus to a rapper. You guys know the youth pastor. Hey, kids, you like hip-hop music? Well, let me tell you about the OGMCJC. Don't laugh at that. Boo that. My son just left. He's so done. <laughs> I told him I was going to tell a joke that would make him leave. Don't 
Seriously, when you hear youth pastors do that, boo them. Don't laugh at that. I remember I would go to these youth pastor groups, these like, you know, let's get together and talk about youth ministry. And there'd always be some dude wearing a hat like this. Jesus is my homeboy. And I know I shouldn't feel this way, but I was always like, I'm going to punch him. I'm going to punch him. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, enough of my nonsense. Uh, (laughs) This guy brings up a common image of what Jesus' eternal kingdom is like. It's this great banquet in the presence of God forever. Gosh, get that off the screen. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> it's this it's amazing banquet. Um, and this is the way they talked about it. You know, the Pharisees, one of the things that set them apart from the other religious groups is they believed in resurrection of the dead. They believed that in the future, God was going to do something and the effects of sin and death would be reversed so that people would be resurrected to life and the faithful would be at God's table at his banquet like a wedding feast. So Jesus is already using language that they would have, have, have used to describe eternal life. So Jesus actually takes this guy's statement as an opportunity to tell a parable about what that banquet is like because it may not be what you guys are expecting. So he says, um, Jesus replied, a man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first, I have just bought a field, so I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, oops, sorry. The sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. The moral of this story is fairly obvious. A lot of Jesus' parables are confusing, but this one's pretty straightforward. Jesus is in the presence of these influential religious leaders. These, These are people of status who have been invited to this actual banquet. And he's saying to them, you've all received an invitation to God's eternal banquet, but evidenced by their reaction to Jesus, him healing on the Sabbath, and the way their faith wasn't really being practiced in their, their religious, uh, you know, version of hierarchy and hospitality. Jesus is saying, you've been invited, but you're rejecting the invitation. You're missing the whole point. You're prioritizing the wrong things. And so then the invitation gets spread far and wide, but there's still room, and he tells them to go out in the country lanes and compel them to come in. Why does he need to compel them? Well, Justo Gonzalez tells us that these lower class people or these sinners that are far outside um, what people thought was acceptable or worthy, they themselves would feel unworthy because they've lived in a world that has told them they're unworthy. So they're, they're hesitant to attend. And so they need to be compelled. And the inviter is saying, yes, you, I'm inviting you. This isn't a prank show. This isn't some cruel joke. Here's your seat. Come to the table. Eat with me. Don't miss the invitation. The interesting part about this is the master doesn't force anyone to come, but rejecting the invitation to this banquet is a really bad idea. 
So what does this parable tell us about God as he's projected through the master who's hosting this banquet? Well, I love verse 23. It tells us that God wants a full house. He wants to be present with us both now and for eternity. He wants everyone to be around the table. Yes, even those of us who feel like we are too far gone, like we're too sinful, we're too broken for God to love us. The parable is told to these religious leaders to stop categorizing people like this. Stop trying to decide who's in and out. The invitation is to God's banquet. It's, it's to eternal life, and it's extended to anyone who will accept the invita- invitation. God wants his house to be full, and if I could put it in Oprah Winfrey terms, you get an invitation, and you get an invitation. Everybody look under your chairs. We all get an invitation. It's my favorite Oprah impression right there. You can boo me for that, too. (laughs) I I literally just woke up and said, how do I embarrass my children today? (laughs) So a couple of things. We've talked about what this means about God through this parable. What does this mean for us? What do we do with this? Well, the first thing is this. We, We need to watch out for distractions. Distractions are normal. Life is busy. And if you look at the people in the parable, they're, they're talking about, about a field or I, I got some new oxen. Like the, the idea of work and wealth can be a distraction to us. And we spend so much of our time on this that it can take an outsized place in our life. Even the guy who gets married is not a very good excuse. Let me tell you why. You're like, yeah, I would think my wedding would be a good reason not to come to a banquet. But the way that's worked in this culture is the invitation would have gone out way, 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 way before. And then this second invitation is saying, it's ready, let's party, right? So the person who's getting married was like, yeah, I'm not going to the banquet. I, let's just plan our wedding date there. That seems like a good time to do it. Like, you know, in that culture, that's a pretty insulting thing to do when somebody was hosting and you're like, yeah, we're gonna host our own thing, sorry, right? So in that time, it, it, it actually is pretty insulting that they would plan their wedding on that day. These guests would have initially accepted the invitation, but then when the time came to actually participate, they're like, I'm good, I got better things to do. When we ask ourselves, what does this passage mean about me, what, what, what I might need to look at, I need to ask myself, what are the common distractions in my life? What keeps me so busy that I miss out on time with Jesus, that I miss out on opportunities to live out my faith by loving God and loving others? Is it school? Is it work? Is it you know, spending... <laughs> Your only hours of outside of school and work watching football or playing Fortnite. Is it, what is it? Like, it could be a million things. And just like the people of this parable, it's not sinfulness. It's not just bad things that become a distraction from us to be in God's presence. It's, it's good things that take an outsized place in our life. Our priorities are out of whack. So the first thing we need to ask ourselves as we move towards this banquet with Jesus is, what does this mean for me? It means I need to identify the distractions? What are things that continue to trip me up and how do I overcome those to actively love God and others? The next thing that it means for us is everyone is invited, so don't get in the way. And there's two camps of people represented in this story, right? First camp is, is, and this is often in Jesus' parables, he kind of has like this, this, there's two kinds of people situation. Some of us, we're, we're the religious people who've been trying to follow Jesus for a long time, and often we de- develop these neat categories about how my way is the right way of following Jesus. The ones who do it my way are the ones that God loves the most, and they're invited to the table. We, we come up with, you know, 
categories of who's in and who's out. The truth is we don't get to decide who gets invited. This parable, Jesus is talking about religious Jews and then he's talking about sinful people who wouldn't normally be involved. And he's talking about people, you know, we talked about people who are, are blind or have some other thing going on. And, and that's not an insult to them. In that culture, though, the theology was if there's something physically wrong with you, it's because you sinned or your parents sinned. And Jesus was always saying, no, that's not how this works. And so he's pushing against those ideas and saying, everyone is welcome. And you don't get to decide who's invited. He doesn't even go further as the New Testament goes on to develop. It's not just going to be Jews at the banquet. It's going to be these non-Jews. These Gentiles are going to get invited too. He, he didn't tell them because their minds would have been blown and it wasn't time to, to go that far. Last week I mentioned this idea that we need to stop seeing people as enemies and start seeing them as future siblings. Because no one is too far gone. We need to stop seeing people in terms of who's in and who's out and start seeing people in terms of who's invited. And the answer is everybody. Sure, not everyone accepts the invitation. That's true. But the ones under judgment in this parable are actually, they're the religious people that missed the point in the first place. They're the first ones to hear about the invitation. And guess what? This isn't a competition. As if God's only got a certain amount of seats at the table. It's like nothing I can do. Ikea is out of stock. No, there's room for everybody. So let's not get in the way by trying to force people to think and act exactly like we do. Perfect doctrine doesn't save anybody. Jesus saves. Jesus heals. Jesus invites. Let's stop getting in the way. Last week, we also talked about Levi and the tax collectors dining with Jesus. That was our meal for last week. And he said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And the difference between the Pharisees and Levi is that Levi knew he was sick and needed a doctor and the Pharisees didn't. So they didn't ask for help. They didn't ask for salvation. They didn't ask for healing. And so however long we've been following Jesus, however good we think we are at it, we always have to remember how much we've been healed, how much we've been forgiven. So this parable is for those of us like me who've been you know, Christians for a long time and can easily... Um, relate to the Pharisees and Jesus' challenges to them, right? But it's also a message for those who see themselves as unworthy of an invitation. You think you're too far gone. You think you've made too many mistakes. You don't feel worthy of love for whatever reason, whether it's your own sin and the mistakes you've made or other people sinning against you, hurting you. You don't feel worthy. This parable is for you too. You're invited God wants a full house and he wants you at his table now and for all eternity. Even if you've run far and fast away from God, you cannot outrun him. And he's chasing after you with this invitation in hand for new life. Stop running, accept the invitation. He doesn't let your past get in the way of him inviting you. So don't you let your past get in the way. Accept the invitation. And that's the last thing. What does this mean for us? It means that when we accept the invitation, we spread the invitation. When we accept the invitation to Jesus' table, just like the host of this party, Jesus takes over your table. It's his table now. <laughs> that's a part of it. 
How we live and more specifically how we love is the best reflection of whether or not we've accepted the invitation. N.T. Wright in his commentary on Luke tells us about the movement of early Jewish Christians who were just, just surprised to see all the people who were rushing to be a part of God's kingdom. It was, it was these you know, Pharisees, sure, it was religious people, sure, but then it was these people who were unworthy. They don't, they're, they're invited too. And then it's, then it's the Gentiles, people from these other nations, totally different than what they expected. These people are rushing into the kingdom of God and they're gonna be at that great banquet. And T. Wright puts it this way. It's, it's, Jew, it's non-Jewish people and Jewish people of every kind of moral and immoral background, quite different from the culturally, socially, ethnic, uh, ethnically, and ethically. How does this happen? Because Jesus' people, Jesus' people, saw what God was up to. He was kicking down man-made doors that were keeping people out, and they began to understand what parables like this mean for us. And T. Wright says it this way, it isn't enough to say that we ourselves are the people dragged from the country lanes to our surprise to enjoy God's party. That may be true, but party guests are then expected to become party hosts. I love that. I love that. Let me, let me say that again. Party guests are then expected to become party hosts in their turn. That's what we do. We extend the party. We've been invited, and we keep extending the invitation. Not only to those who we think are worthy. No, this parable crushes that notion. We spread the invitation to anyone who will listen. We don't see people in terms of worthy or unworthy. We just see people, people who God wants around his table. So Jesus has shared this meal with us. He shared these meals with us, the Passover meal, the Lord's Supper, communion. We read about these meals where he's just present with people, healing people, forgiving people, welcoming people. And they're all pointing to this banquet that lasts forever in his perfect, uninterrupted presence. So again, I say, accept the invitation. And know that this invitation comes with a responsibility. Later on in this passage, Jesus talks about anybody who wants to follow me is willing to give up anything to follow me. So yes, this, this invitation comes with a responsibility. And that responsibility is this, spread the invitation. Be, let's be people of hospitality. We share meals, we share coffee, we share presents, we demonstrate and share with anyone who will listen. We share with anyone who will listen this truth. This is something my friend Clayton back in Illinois says all the time. That no matter who you are, what you've done, whatever you can say about yourself, good or bad, the most true thing about you is that you are loved by God. That's the message we take with us everywhere. That's the invitation. The Bible ends with this vision of, of God's eternal kingdom. And it's the scene of a wedding banquet, the greatest party that's ever been thrown. And there God is our king and we are his people and there's no longer any death or pain or tears. This is the invitation we have. We accept it. We receive God's love, which is demonstrated on the cross. That We, we accept that Jesus has died for our sins. We're forgiven, we're free. We accept this invitation to call him our king, which means we march to his orders. And what does that look like? It means we do what he did. We love who he loved and we spread the invitation of his banquet to his kingdom, to anyone who will accept it.
So with that, I'm gonna close in prayer. We're gonna continue to worship in both English and Spanish. And I want us to think about this this week as we go out of here. What does it look like this week, Thanksgiving week? What does it look like going into holidays for us to not just accept God's invitation to be in his presence, but to extend that? Who in our life needs the healing touch of Jesus? Who in our life just needs to know that they are loved, that they are valued, that the truest thing about them is that they are loved by God? Let's pray for those people, but then let's invite, share a meal, share coffee. Remember that we've been invited And the best way to display our gratitude for that is to keep inviting others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this good news. God, I always do better (laughs) when I remember how far I was when you found me. Thank you for the truth that there's always more room around your table. Thank you for your truth that there's no one who's too far gone. My favorite, one of my favorite songs, there's, there's none too poor, too dirty, too broken, too naked, too drunken, too stupid to be thrown outside your love. God, that's true. You invite us all to come and experience your healing. Thank you for that. Well, for anyone who's never actually received that, let this be the day where they accept that invitation to believe that you you lived the, the, the life that we were meant to live in, in unison, lockstep with God the Father. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus, you went to the cross to take our sin, offer us forgiveness, and that you rose again from the dead that we might have new life. God, if anybody here has not accepted that and, and said, I want that new life, I want to walk with Jesus, I want to be a part of his family. I want to sit at his table in that great banquet. Lord, would you speak to them this morning? If that's you, if you're in this room today and that's you, you don't have to pray any magical words. You can keep it simple and just say, Jesus, I want you to be my king. It can be that simple. Lord, for, for those of us who've been following for some time, help us to remember. Help us to remember that while we were your enemies, you died for us. We don't deserve your love or your grace. Not one of us does. Help us to not get caught up in religious traditions that keep us from missing the big point. Help us to love people the way that you did. Lord, you have shown us this incredible hospitality. You've invited us to your table. God, help us to be people of hospitality. Help us to demonstrate your love. This week, around our Thanksgiving tables, as the holidays come, whatever it is, as we give gifts to people who who need some good news through Turning Point or Tree of Hope, God, help us to demonstrate your love in such a way that people see you. We love you and we pray all of these things in the name of the, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Amen.